name of our Almighty Father. And Lord, we just invite You to come and speak to us. Bring Your joy and Your peace. Lord, we just ask that You have Your way. And Lord, come and come and do what You want to do today. Thank You, Lord. Can I stand to your feet?
church, Lord, and say, do what you want to. Lord God, come speak to each and every single one of us. Lord God, have your will uh, in our worship. Lord God, in the Word, Lord, have your will. Lord, may you speak. May, May you come and touch each and every single one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How are we doing, church? On this fine morning, you can have a seat. It's so good to have you here. And um, can we say welcome to you if this is your first or second time here? And uh, if it is your first or second time here, we love to just give you some chocolate and tell you a little bit about ourselves. And now the easiest way to do that um, is out the doors at the back um, to the, uh, use my right hand side. Uh, is some tables and there'll be someone there that will tell you a little bit about the church, give you a free coffee and uh, you can ask any questions you want and they'll help you out there. But church, why don't we give all the visitors a welcome if that is you this morning. It's fantastic. And just because we uh, love giving stuff away, we want to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. So if if you've had a birthday or an anniversary in the last uh, week, I think Eli Hall, I think that's you, mate. Exams. And so, Eli, welcome up. Is there anyone else that's had a birthday or anniversary? Eli just gets to stand here. Tina, have you had a birthday too? Are you just standing with your boy? Oh, cute. Oh, anniversary. I just, just, fantastic. Yeah, how many years? 23, fantastic. A birthday as well. Fantastic. Who's heard of the Oscars? This is like, I get the mic, they put me on morning cheering. So I'm like, this is a church-wide event though, people, all right? So I'm not doing a notice for the youth ministry. But um, one, one of the highlights for the youth ministry here at church is an event we call the Oscars. And it's about celebrating all that God's done um, in and through our young people. And it's open to the whole church. So it's a church-wide event. That's why I'm allowed to give a notice. And uh, so it's really cheap. It's only $25 if you pay before the 29th of November. And it's a great night. We watch a movie. It's at Hoyt Cinemas. Um, it's a lot of fun. There's food and um, a whole whole lot of things. You eat dessert as well. So it's great. And so I encourage you, get along. Uh, if, you've, if you've helped in any way, um, this year in youth, then we'll, we uh, have a little award as well that we give called the Old Timer Award um, for those that are out of youth ministry but have helped out. So uh, so that's always a little fun one to give out. So uh, come along, you might be nominated. But if you, I've got a little clipboard here. Now, we, because it's at a movie theatre, we do sell out. So um, if you really want to come, you do need to get in quick. Is that cool? Very good. I'm going to invite um, Alan Hull up. Uh, elders, as you're probably well aware, um, Paris uh, had some devas- devastating attacks, really horrible. And as a church, um, we'd like to stand and, and pray for, for the people of Paris. So thank you, Alan. All right, can we all stand together, eh? Stand together and pray. Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. <clears throat> Father, we become before you this morning, Lord, and Lord, we just uplift. Uh, parish to you, Lord, uh, in France. Lord, the atrocities that have taken place there, Lord, the families that have been affected, the people that have um, gone through this traumatic time, Lord, Lord, we lift them up to you, Father God. Lord, we just pray your intervention and ask for your intervention into what's taken place, Lord. Lord, that uh, 
for those that have been infected, Lord, that you would just, um, your presence would be felt. Um, Lord, we just pray for your intervention there. Lord, Lord, your movement in this place, Lord. And Lord, that um, these people with warped minds, Lord, Lord, that, uh, that these can be changed, Lord, for good, Lord. So, Lord, uh, we just pray that uh, for the uncertainty that's going on, Lord, there, Lord, for, the, for those that are in power, Lord, Lord, that you'd give them wisdom, give them uh, guidance in all situations, Lord. Lord, we just pray for a calmness to take place in that, in that city, in that country, Lord, and, and in Europe, Lord. Lord, the effect, the ripple effect that is taking place across. So, Lord, um, we just pray your presence here, Lord, and just have your way. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Thank you very much. You can have your seat. Sally is going to come up and lead us around Psalm 37 this morning. Today's reading comes from Psalm 37, verse 1 to 7 and 34 to 14. Don't worry about the wicked. Or envy those who do wrong. For they like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord, and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper, or fret about their wicked schemes. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path. He will honour you by giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. I have seen wicked and ruthless people flourishing like a tree in its native soil. But when I looked again, they were gone. Though I searched for them, I could not find them. Look at those who are honest and good, for a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. But the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in Him. May God bless this reading of His Holy Word.
now like to welcome up Glenn and he's going to share communion uh, with us. Morning everyone. Could the host teams please start distributing the emblems? Thanks. We observe communion in order to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and to thank him for it. At the Last Supper, Jesus broke the bread and drank the wine and said, Do this in remembrance of me. But do we really know the full weight of what we're remembering? One of the last things Jesus said on the cross before he died was only, is only found in the Gospel of John. The, the phrase as he hung dying on the cross with people all around him looking at him, mocking him, hounding him, spitting at him, was, It is finished. Having grown up in a Christian home, this is a phrase I've been aware of for most of my life. It is finished. I've always read it or heard it spoken and just accepted that it's something that Jesus said. I always assumed he was talking about his life being finished or his work being finished. I just always took it for granted that this is what Jesus was talking about. But what does the phrase, it is finished, really mean? The Greek word used for the phrase, it is finished, is tetelestai. Interestingly, looking at the origins of this word, it was often used in business documents and receipts and literally means paid in full. When I read this, it blew my, it blew, sorry, it blew my mind. Some of the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross weren't about his life ending or his sacrifice. It was about us. It is finished, paid in full. So why do we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made? Why do we remember his death, burial and resurrection? Because we have been paid for in full. Jesus has purchased us from the clutches of sin with his sacrifice. All our past sins and transgressions don't matter once we've been washed in the blood of Christ because our sins have been paid in full. That is why through communion, we remember the sacrifice of the Son of God because our debt has been paid in full. Now I'd like us, as we take um, the juice and the, the bread, that I'd like us to think about what this means for each of us individually. Reflect on that. Reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made and what he's paid for in your life and thank him for it. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you sent your son to die so that we could be paid for in full. We thank you that now we don't have to worry about what we've done in the past. We don't have to worry about who we were in the past because your blood covers all of that. We thank you that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, as long as we turn to you, we can be paid for in full and have our sins washed away by the blood of Christ. Thank you for your sacrifice. Amen. Thank you for that, Glenn. That was awesome. Uh, I'd like you to uh, stand with us, church, as we continue with our worship. Thanks, band.
just been thinking how often fear will end up being the loudest voice in our minds. With what's happened in France, it just brings it to the fore once again. You're the what if. I just want you to just realise that we're not slaves to that anymore. We don't have to listen to that voice anymore. We have no compulsion to hear that voice, to obey it, to take any notice of that voice. No matter how loud it is, no matter how loud your circumstances are talking and shouting and screaming at you, we have a God who wants to unravel that with his love. He wants to wrap you up. And I just ask that you just focus on him today, realizing that he has got you. He has completely surrounded you with his love and with his goodness. Even if you can't see it or feel it, he's there. So just lean into him, press into him, let your mind look at that. See what it, ask him what it looks like, what it feels like. As we just sing. Surround. 
Lord God, we thank you that your grace covers each and every single one of us. Lord, because you love us. Lord, because of what you did on that cross. No matter what we've gone through, no matter where we're at right now, Lord, that your grace covers it. Lord, because you love us. Lord, and I love also is that through the good times in life, when, when we are doing well, Lord, that too is a reflection of your grace, Lord, abounding. Lord, we can rejoice in that, is that on the cross, not over, not only was our sin and shame covered, but Lord, there was victory on that cross. A victory for your church, victory for us and what we go through, that you are covering all. And so this morning as a church, we come before you and we say, you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. And no matter if we're at the highs, highs of life, Lord, that you are King, or if we're at the low, you are still King. And we can take refuge in that. We can take refuge in you, our Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's my pleasure to invite Vona up and she's going to uh, come and share a testimony, which will be awesome. Good morning, church. I've been asked to bring this testimony. It's been a few months in coming and it's actually come to an end. So it's my pleasure to um, tell you what happened to us. In the middle of September, um, unknown to me, the Lord led my husband to take us to the base. And we were having lunch in the food hall and um, just finished my lunch and I was sitting around just people watching and my eyes fell on this um, older man that was cleaning tables. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, he was smiling at the clients or the customers or the people having their food and he was just really so full of joy doing, you know, this job. And I thought to myself, wow, what a man. Um, that would put an apron on and come and clean tables, you know, and I could just see that life for him hadn't been easy. And while I was sitting there just contemplating this person, I clearly heard the Lord say to me, and you know what? He needs a car. And I was completely, completely baffled. And I looked at Calvin as if he would have heard the same thing. And Calvin was happily eating his food. And I looked around like, did anyone else hear that? And I know it was God because... We lost our job the day before. And as that happens, you know, my mind was full of that. I wasn't even thinking of this vehicle we had standing at home that I didn't have anything to do with. And I knew that it wasn't even my mind at the time. And I knew that it was God. And we tried to sell it and tried to get, you know, anyone that had a need to give it to, but it never happened. And at this time, God said, he needs a car. So I said to Calvin, you get anything from God about that guy over there? And he said to me, no. Why, what did you get? And I told him. And he says, well, you're going to have to go and speak to him. I said, no. He said, I'm not going to go up to this random stranger in the mall and say, hey, do you need a car? And eventually we got up to leave. And Calvin says, are you going to leave it now? I said, well, it's, you're a guy. He's a guy. You go talk to him. It's easy. You're two guys. And he said, no, but it's you that got the word. So I was standing there in the aisle getting my courage together. And... Um, you know, when, I, when he was alone, I went up to him and I said, you know, excuse me. I said, this is going to be sound really, really silly. 
I said, but do you have a car? And he like smiled at me and he said, no, actually I don't. He says, the one I had broke. And he said, and I was sitting at home and I thought, you know, I can't just sit at home and I got this job and I walk to work every day. And I said to him, well, I just want you to know that we're Christians. And I said, and I just heard the Lord. So I told him that I admired him for what he did and that the Lord told me he needs a car. And he got really emotional and um, he said to me, you know what, I, I got up this morning and I had a sense someone was going to speak to me today about a car. And he said, and, and I said to him, do you believe in God? And he looked up and he's contemplated and he said, you know what, yes I do. And I said, and what I, do, I want you to know that we have this vehicle, we're not using, we want to just get it ready for you, clean it up a little bit, do some cosmetic fixing and we'll get it to you because it's yours. And so it took us about two months to get it ready after losing our job and getting resettled. And on Thursday this week, we met him at the base and handed him the keys and the ownership papers. And he was completely overwhelmed. He was shaking like a a little reed because he didn't think it was going to happen. He thought we were having him on. And when I gave it to him, I said, this is your car. I said, it's nothing fancy, but it's reliable and it's all yours. And he just grabbed me and he hugged me. And I said to him, if you want to know this God who really, really loves you and heard your prayer or heard your cry for help, um, this is where our church is. And I told him where it was. And I said, so we hope we see you soon. You've got a car to get there now. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you, Fona. What an amazing story, eh? What a cool example of expressing God's goodness. Challenging, eh, though? Very challenging. So, in case you don't know me, my name is Josh, and we'll just get this thing going here. There we go. So, that was a great introduction because we're going to continue our year-long theme, which is about goodness this morning. So, Pastor Sheridan has been speaking about goodness from the book of Ephesians, and Pastor Ray from the book of Philippians. And of course, we know that uh, goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit that's found in the book of Galatians. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit that God wants us to grow in. Do you want to grow in goodness? I hope so, because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. (laughs) So just before we get going, what I'd do is I'd like us to pray and for each of us to ask God to speak to us this morning because His voice is the most important voice that we hear. So why don't we pray? And I'd like you to repeat this after me. Say, Lord, I choose to open my heart to you this morning. Please speak to me. I give you permission to challenge and stir me. May your goodness overflow out of me. Amen. So, God wants us to grow in goodness. Oh, has it gone off? Thank you, Luke. (laughs) But there are some misconceptions about goodness that are really easy for us to get trapped into believing. So this morning, I'm going to talk about four myths about goodness that can stump our growth and cause us to be ineffective. Can I see a quick show of hands? Who wants to be ineffective in your Christianity? (laughs) 
No one, I hope. Because we want to be effective for Christ, right? We want our lives to make a difference for Him, don't we? So the trouble is that these misconceptions, or these myths, as I've called them, they're, they're, at first glance, they kind of seem like they're true, or at least justifiable. And it's not until we dig a little bit deeper into them that we see how they can stump our growth and cause our Christianity to be far less effective than what God wants. Whereas if we can identify them, if we can change our approach to them, then we can express the full goodness that God desires us to express, which is what will make a difference in the world around us. That's what we want, isn't it? That's right. So we've got four myths to get through. You might completely disagree with number four, but I'm hoping I can convince you. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to start by looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. So if you turn there in your Bibles... So we lose some of the impact of the story nowadays because the good, a good Samaritan has become a synonym with someone who's a nice person, someone who goes out of their way to help others. But when Jesus chose to use a Samaritan as the hero in the story, it was a complete shock to his audience. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. But you could say they hated each other. And there'd been a long history of tension building over centuries. So the Samaritans believed that they were the true children of Abraham, that their way of worshipping God was the true way, that even built their own temple to worship God. And 150 years before Jesus was around, the Jews had destroyed the Samaritans' temple. Then about 25 years earlier before Jesus was ministering, historians tell us that the Samaritans had desecrated the Jewish temple by scattering human bones in it during Passover, so the biggest Jewish festival. So can you see the cross-cultural tension going on here? There was um, a history as well of people attacking each other, even people getting killed from, from either side. So that's the context that Jesus tells this story in and chooses to use a Samaritan as the hero. So, so we're going to read the parable of the Good Samaritan, but just to try and help us get some of that impact, I'm going to change the characters for you. So let's go. Are you in Luke 10? Great, we're going to start at verse 25, which is picking it up just as an expert in the law is asking Jesus a question. So it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He'd obviously been listening to Jesus' teaching. So right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a pastor came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A church musician walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Muslim came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Muslim soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man 
if his bills run higher than this, I'll pay him next time I'm here. I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked? The man who showed mercy on him, the man replied. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Does changing those characters smack you around the head a bit more with the impact that Jesus had on his original listeners? I don't like a Muslim being the hero of the story, especially after yesterday's attacks. The Jews definitely didn't like a Samaritan being the hero of the story. But Jesus was bringing out some real clear points here, and so we're going to dig into that just with the, with the first myth that you get to see some of that. So the first, the first myth is, goodness is all about our actions, doing good things. So when we first read this parable, we may think, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying we need to do more good things. That's what, the, that's what the meaning of the parable is about. But Jesus' message is much more than just doing good things. See, because while goodness is, is expressed in our actions, it starts in our hearts. And that's really what Jesus was getting at. He, the way he told the parable, he drew out what was wrong with people's hearts. And he did it in, in two ways. One obvious and one less obvious. So firstly, let's look at the obvious way. The, the really obvious way in the story is the, the Pharisee and the Levite, or in our case, the pastor and the church musician. Sorry, church musicians. <laughs> but he, it was really obvious that their hearts were not in the right place. And he contrasted it with someone that they looked down on someone they didn't get along with. So in, in our case, the Muslim. Contrast it with, with that person who did respond well with his actions because his heart was in the right place. Jesus was drawing out what was wrong with their hearts. And the point is this. We can look godly on the outside. We can say we're a Christian and believe the right thing. But that doesn't mean our hearts are in the right place. If we find ourselves closing off to others, if we find ourselves less aware of the needs of others around us and more consumed with ourselves, our hearts are drifting from God's heart. And someone else who isn't a Christian may well express God's goodness better than we do. Ouch. Does that hurt? That's what Jesus was saying by, drawing, by the way he told the story. He was making this impact of, you think you believe the right thing, yet other people are expressing God's goodness better than you are. Ooh, ouch. So that was the obvious way. So let's look at the less obvious way. The less obvious way he did it was by how he worked with the expert in the law. So if you look at verse 29, we've just been hearing, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the expert in the law says, well, who is my neighbor? So it's a question of, well, who do I have to love? And Jesus completely spins his question around. If you look at verse 36, when it gets to the end, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? So it's not who was my neighbor. Jesus is saying who was a neighbor. And the point is this. We don't love people based on who they are. Are they close enough to us? We love people based on who we are. Are we the kind of person who is a neighbor? Do we express goodness? Not based on whether people deserve it, but based on what God has put in our hearts. And by Jesus twisting that question around, he made it very clear. 
that the expert of the law, his heart was in the wrong place. So he could say all the right words. He, he answered Jesus very eloquently. But Jesus spun his question around and showed your heart isn't tied into God's heart for sharing goodness. Can you see how Jesus pointed that out? Yeah, so the myth is that goodness is all about our actions doing good things. Here's the truth. Goodness is an issue of the heart. If we're not expressing acts of goodness, if we're not expressing God's goodness, don't look at our actions. Look at our heart. God, what's going on in my heart that is blocking me from expressing your goodness? What's God saying to you? Is there anything there? Is he stirring you? I think we can tell our hearts are in the right place when we become a people who see a need and decide to do something about it. It's a reflection of what's in our hearts. So we don't want to be people like the Pharisee and the Levite in the story. We want to be people who express God's goodness when he can stir us for the needs of others around us. So let God stir your heart. Okay, myth number two. Goodness shouldn't cost us. Have you ever had to do something where, when your heart just wasn't in it? You know, if, if you're in that situation, you do the bare minimum to get by. What do I have to do? You just, you just scrape by because your heart's really not in it. I think it's the, the same as true of goodness. If our heart isn't in the right place, then we're going to try and make sure goodness doesn't cost us too much. We just want to do enough goodness to be able to tick the box to say, goodness, done. But we don't actually want it to cost us. Whereas when God has our heart, our resources become his resources. And in this story, we saw that the Good Samaritan, he spent both time and money helping a complete stranger. He stopped, he saw a need, he stopped. He spent time helping him, took him to the inn, he paid for his accommodation, paid for his hospital bills. Ouch. He spent time and money. So here's the news flash. It's expensive being a Christian. <laughs> Demonstrating the kind of love that God, or that the Bible demonstrates, it's expensive. And that's okay. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So, so we live in a selfish world, and it is, it is so easy for the greed and the selfishness of the world to start to creep into our hearts because we're surrounded by it all the time. But God calls us to live opposite to that. God calls us to, to, ex, uh, to express his goodness. And the good news is that there's an easy way to stop greed in its tracks. There's an antidote. The antidote for greed is generosity. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Are you there yet? Yep, yeah, cool. Okay, so teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now, the normal way we read this verse is this. Man, I hope those Christians who are rich read this verse. Isn't it? We read it and we think, man, I hope those other guys read it. Because we can always find someone who's got more money than us. Always. 
I listen to interviews with multi-millionaires, and they don't feel rich because they know billionaires. I once heard a guy who had a 50-foot yacht, who was quite stoked with it, until a 75-foot yacht pulled up alongside of him, and <laughs> he no longer felt rich. We can always find someone who's got more money than us, but we can also always find someone who's got less money than us. If you can think of someone who has less money than you, then in their eyes, you are rich. So this verse applies to us. Now, I acknowledge that there are times in life when finances are completely tight, when it's an absolute struggle. If you're not in that situation right now, then this verse applies to you. It says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share. See, often people think, oh, if I had a million bucks, then I'd be generous. If I won lotto, then I'd be generous. No, start with what we've got now. God doesn't call you to be generous in the future. He calls us to be generous now. That's part of expressing God's goodness. Like I said, true Christianity is expensive. If our hearts are in the right place, then God has access to our resources too to express his goodness. Let's be people who see a need and do something about it. And in the Bible, I see that our highest priority or one of our biggest priorities when it comes to financial support should actually be to the people who are in the family of God, actually be inside the church. In Galatians 6 verse 10, it says, Therefore, whenever we have an opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. John 13.35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 1 John 3.16 and 17, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and see the, sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Pretty strong verses, eh? It's really clear that goodness is to be expressed through us and looking after each other is a big part of that in the Bible. So we had the church and CIA offering, church in action offering last week, and you can still give to that if you want to. That's all about helping look after others within our family who have financial needs that we might not even know about. So you can still give to that if you want to. So the myth is that goodness shouldn't cost us. The truth, expressing God's goodness can be expensive, and that's okay. God calls us to use our resources to help others. I have a friend who, a um, Christian couple, and they've just had their first baby. He's in business for himself, and this year, business has been tough. It's been incredibly tough. So to top it off, of course, because they've had their first baby, his wife is no longer working, and so finances are really, really tight. And they had a friend who's a Christian who lived in Auckland, who, while he'd been working, had been setting aside extra money to give, and he came down to them and gave them, just before the baby was born, $2,000 cash to help them out. Isn't that amazing? What a cool example of expressing God's goodness. Like, can you... 
Can you imagine being that couple? Can you imagine the relief you would feel receiving that? Wouldn't you love to be part of a church where that kind of thing happened all the time? Or what about Vona's story? Giving a car to someone because God said, I think that is outstanding. What a challenge. That's great. So when, when I hear these stories, I think of the verse in Romans 15 verse 14 where Paul says, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers, that you are full of goodness. Wouldn't you love Sheridan and Ray to be able to say that over you? I am fully convinced that you are full of goodness. Let it overflow. Let it overflow. So will you look for opportunities to help others financially and with time, even if it costs you, especially inside the body of Christ? Let's be a people who see a need and are willing to do something about it. Okay, myth number three. Myth number three is, I don't need the supernatural to express God's goodness. This isn't even the one that I said you might disagree with me on, so that's coming next. So you might look at this and think, really? I don't need the supernatural. Just Goodness is just expressing practically, isn't it? If I took the word God out of that sentence, then you'd be absolutely right. We don't need the supernatural to express goodness. But to express God's goodness requires both the natural and the supernatural. Acts 10 verse 38, it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So Jesus went around doing good and healing all. It was like this package deal. He went around doing good and healing all. It's like, wow. Okay, so Jesus expressed God's goodness naturally and supernaturally. Naturally, through the mercy he showed the woman caught in adultery. Through letting the children come to him when the disciples had said no. Through sharing meals with people that the religious leaders despised, the tax collectors, the drunkards, the prostitutes. Jesus shared the love of God naturally, but he also shared it supernaturally through healing blind Bartimaeus, through raising the widow's son from the dead, through healing the lepers, through healing the demon-possessed boy, through healing the paralyzed man who was carried on a mat, and all the other miracles he did. He expressed God's goodness naturally and supernaturally. And then the disciples carried that on once Jesus had gone back to heaven. Acts 3, Peter and John healed the man, the lame man at the gate. Acts 5, the sick were brought into the streets just so the apostles would walk past so they could be healed. Acts chapter 9, Ananias heard the Holy Spirit tell him to go and pray for Saul. And he did. And Saul's blindness, he was healed of blindness and he was baptized that day. And that act of obedience to God's word, that act of goodness in the face of fear, released the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Also, Acts chapter 9, Peter prays for a man who had been paralyzed for eight years and he is healed. And lots of other miracles throughout the book of Acts. See, if we remove the supernatural from goodness, then we can express goodness, but we can't express God's full goodness that he wants to express through us into the world. So the myth is, I don't need the supernatural to express God's goodness. The truth, God wants us to express his goodness naturally and supernaturally. 
Now, this one is a challenge. It's a challenge for me. Are you feeling challenged about it this morning? Here's a couple of things that I've learned about in my, in my journey with this, especially in regards to healing. There's a couple of things I've learned that I'll just share with you briefly. Now, we, could, we, could, we should have whole messages and whole days looking at healing, but I'll just give you a couple of points. The first one is that we should never, ever pray, when you're praying for someone for healing, God, if it's your will, please heal them. It is not biblical. Don't ever pray that. Instead, if you look in the book of Acts through the way the disciples prayed, I've gone through and studied every single miracle in the book of Acts. They commanded healing. So we are to command healing. Now, we're not commanding God. God has commanded us to heal the sick. So we command the body to be healed. We command the sickness to leave. That's one of the things I've learned along the way. The other thing that I'll, that I'll just touch on is that I think we've learned unbelief as Christians. And what I mean by that is that, sure, when we do pray for the sick, we don't actually expect them to get healed. <laughs> do we? We pray and then, oh, yeah, okay. Because I think, and this is a, this is a challenge that I've had to walk myself through, is because I let the the number of people that didn't get healed weigh on my mind more than the people that did. So I let the miracles that haven't happened stop me from believing for more to happen right now. And that's a challenge that we need to work through because Catherine Coleman in the mid-20th century was incredible. She had an incredible, miraculous ministry. Saw hundreds of people healed and like people getting out of wheelchairs, people healed of cancer, all sorts of things. She would be found after the meetings crying out the back over the people who didn't get healed. So she absolutely knew some people don't get healed. But she absolutely knew some people do get healed. And she didn't let the people who didn't get healed stop her from praying for more in faith and seeing hundreds and thousands more people healed. So I think we've got to work ourselves through that and go, God, I know you heal and I will pray in faith. And one of the ways that I, that I find to break myself out of this unbelief is quite simply, after we pray, ask. Ask how it is. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's quite funny. I had a couple of friends that we were, we were praying together, and one of them said that he had a sore back. And we're like, sure, yeah, we'll pray for that. So we pray for that, and afterwards we're like, okay, so how's your back? You should have seen the look on his face. It was, it was this look that said, you mean I was supposed to get healed just then? <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> because we've stopped believing that God will actually heal right then. And if we start to ask it starts to set the expectation, did you get healed just then? Oh, hey, yeah, the pain went down. Great, I'll pray again. Pray again, and for that time, we prayed twice, and then the pain was completely gone. But it was only as we start to ask that it sets the expectation, I expected God to do something right then. Like, it's a challenge, though. Like this week, I prayed for someone who had a sore knee, and I had to consciously, in my mind, decide, I'm going to ask. Because it's still that thing of, oh, no, I'm going to ask, I'm going to expect that God's going to do something right now. And his pain dramatically decreased as well. So, to break ourselves out of unbelief, ask a question, how is it now? So let's be people who see a need and do something about it. And the supernatural isn't just for healing. As we heard Vona's story, incredible, sitting in food court, a word of knowledge about that guy over there. Like, wow, I've never experienced anything like that, but it makes me think, oh God, more of you, please. Stir within me. Let me hear your voice more. Can you see that using the, experiencing God's supernatural with the natural is the ultimate expression of goodness? 
Okay. Here we go. Myth number four. This is the one that you might disagree with me on. Myth number four. I'll love people until they ask why. I'm sure you've heard this statement before, haven't you? Some of you may even love it. I'm hoping to change that. <laughs> so I think it's a myth that will cause us to be ineffective. And I was chatting with Ray this week, and he totally, Pastor Ray, and he totally agrees with me as well. See, this statement has good parts, but also has some bad parts in it. So let me explain. It creates this impression that I will love people amazingly so that it makes an impact on them, and that's good. We will love on people incredibly. That's fantastic. The part that's bad about this statement is the part that says, until they ask why, implies that I'm not actually going to share the gospel with them until they ask me. I'm going to love them amazingly. I'm not going to say anything until they ask me, and then I'll share. That's where the problem comes in, because that's not right. So I've got a little exercise. I want you to think, can you think of someone who isn't a Christian, who is amazingly kind, amazingly generous, a really nice person? Can you think of someone? Can you think of someone in your mind? Not a Christian, amazingly kind. If you can, I'd just like you to put up your hand. I just want to do a quick test. Okay, so keep your hands up. Great. I want you to keep your hand up if you have ever asked them why they are so kind. Ooh, we got ourselves a problem. Don't we? We don't ask why they're so kind. Why do we expect that people will ask us why we're so kind? If we wait to share the gospel with people until they ask us why we're so kind, we're not going to be sharing the gospel with many people. We have to work out how to express goodness amazingly so it makes an impact on people and share the gospel with words along the way. How to turn those conversations into spiritual conversations and share the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel is ultimate good news. So the truth is that goodness does not replace our need to share the gospel with words. Nowhere in the Bible do I see them loving, loving, loving people and waiting until they ask before they share the gospel. It's just not biblical. And as we've seen from our hands, it, it won't happen. There'll be people who need to hear the gospel who we won't share with them if we're waiting until they ask. So we need to express God's goodness, but we also need to remember that the gospel is the ultimate goodness. It is the good news. It's the good news of salvation. It's the good news of forgiveness. And the ultimate expression of goodness is to share this message with them. Don't wait until they ask. Let's share the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that can see people saved. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian... We want you to experience goodness. We want you to experience love and kindness from the people here. We also want you to hear the gospel. The gospel that Jesus Christ is God and he died on the cross for our sins. That he rose again. And by believing in him, we receive forgiveness and eternal life. That's the gospel. We want you to know that truth as well as experiencing the love of people around you. So let's be a people who see a need and do something about it and share the message of the gospel along the way. So we've looked at four myths this morning. I just want to quickly recap those. The first one we looked at was goodness is all about our actions, doing good things. Whereas the truth is that goodness is an issue of the heart. It starts here. If, if goodness is... If 
goodness is not being expressed through our actions. Don't just look to your actions. Look to your heart and say, okay, God, what do you need to change in my heart? What do you want to stir within me this morning? Second myth, goodness shouldn't cost us. Whereas the truth, expressing God's goodness can be expensive and that's okay. God calls us to use our resources to help others. Third one, I don't need the supernatural to express God's goodness. The truth is God wants us to express goodness naturally and supernaturally. And finally, I'll love people until they ask why was the myth. The truth is that goodness does not replace our need to share the gospel with words. What's God stirring in you today? The very first challenge is to get our hearts in the right place. If there's something that God is pointing out to you that is blocking that goodness flowing, then deal with that. And once our hearts are right with God, there are so many opportunities to express goodness. Just so many. A couple of creative ones I've thought of in the last week have been, do you have a spare seat in your car? I run Faith 101, which is our new Christians class during church. And last week we had three people who couldn't come because they didn't have transport to church. It's like, wow, what if we could just pick people up and bring them to church? Hey, what if we love doing admin? Well, we need someone to organize that. What about um, just babysitting or doing lawns for a solo mum, providing meals or financial help for people, church in action offering? There's all sorts of things. Getting involved in the property link, um, praying, starting to pray for people who have a need of healing, all sorts of things. Okay, something bigger. What about outside of church? What about sponsoring a child? What about donating to a crisis? getting involved in a charity. There's all sorts of ways that we can express God's goodness. What's he stirring within you? Helping someone when it's inconvenient or just taking that time to sit and listen to someone who's lonely and just listen and be with them. I don't know, there's all sorts of things. What's God stirring within you? Once our heart's in the right place, goodness can overflow in all sorts of ways. So let's pause now. Let's, I'd like us to close our eyes. Let's do some business with God. Why don't you ask God if there are any of these myths that you've embraced that you need to adjust? Is there anything in your heart that is stopping goodness flowing? Just spend some time now. Just ask God, what, what does he want for you? If you're here this morning and you haven't yet received Jesus Christ into your life, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept him just now because we've spoken about goodness this morning, but I need to be very clear. Goodness does not get us to heaven and we don't do good things in order to get to heaven. None of us can earn our way to heaven. We have this problem called sin, which is anything wrong that we've done in our life and there is nothing we can do that can overcome that except one thing, and that is to accept that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price, as we heard from Glenn earlier. He paid it in full, and by believing in Him and accepting Him as our leader and as our forgiver, our sins are forgiven. And this morning, I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand shortly, just so I can see it, because this is the ultimate act that God wants to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. So if that's you this morning, just while every 
heads bowed. I'd like you just to put up your hand so I can see. I'm going to get someone to pray with you afterwards. So if you can just put up your hand nice and high so I can see it. Give you a couple more seconds because forgiveness from God is the ultimate way to start your journey, to connect. Okay, I don't see any hands this morning. If you want to talk to someone afterwards anyway, you can come talk to me or any of the people in the green t-shirts with the host team because we'd love to pray with you. Has God stirred something in your heart this morning, church? I hope so. Let's be a people who this week see a need and do something about it. Awesome. What a great message. Let's uh, give Josh a hand. That was fantastic. Who, uh, who was a little bit challenged uh, through that? Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Thank you. So um, we're going to finish off the service there. We'll finish with a praise song. Is that good? Um, and so just a few reminders. As a church, we love to be purposed about our giving. And you can do that um, by going to the left um, out either of the doors. And there's a brown giving station there. And uh, you can you can give there. Also, uh, there's an incredibly good-looking person speaking tonight. Um, so make sure you get along to the 6 p.m. service. That's me, by the way, um, <laughs> before you're confused. And uh, this year, I've been doing a series... What are you laughing at, Owen? <laughs> this year I've been doing a series called Proud to Be, looking at the legacy of Christians doing, um, bringing goodness to this world. And so I'm going to be finishing off my series tonight. So if you haven't heard any of my messages this year, come along tonight and you kind of get them all in one uh, as my wrap-up. So it's kind of like going to church four or five times. So um, not that you like for the next four or five weeks, you can just skip church because you say you've been, but... But come along tonight, it'll be a lot of fun and it'll be good. So how about you stand and and uh, do what you want to? Well, God, do what you want to. God, do what He wants to. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> God will do what He wants to yeah. in our lives. Amen, church? Yeah. Yeah, come on. We've got two hands. It's your heart we're searching for. We want you.
Awesome. Have a great Sunday. Be blessed. And last but not least, because I forgot, um, is if you want to come to the Oscars, come to me right now to register. If you can't pay today, that's cool, but you can reserve your seat by registering. Cheers. Have a great Sunday.